Again, Romans chapter 1. Last week, uh, we looked at, I believe, verse 18 through verse 25. And we'll recap that more here in a bit because verse 26, it starts by saying, for this reason. And so we kind of want to do a little bit more of a detailed review, but we'll do it quickly this morning because really what we looked at last week so goes together with what we're looking at this week. It's really a part one and a part two. The week before that, we saw that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And then last week, we saw unrepentive sin. The unrighteousness of man reveals the wrath of God. And we saw how the wrath of God abides on all those that have, do not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God when we put faith in Him, when we call on His name, when the Lord saves us. When we enter into that place of being born again by grace alone, through faith alone, and Him alone. We go from being under the law that condemns us to being under the grace of God and the shed blood of the Lord that saves us. Are you in that place this morning? Can you say amen to that? That good news this morning. And so, again, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God or how to have right standing with God. And then last week, again, we saw the unrighteousness of man or the unrepentive sin of man. It reveals the wrath of God. Wrath resting upon people. And then if they don't repent, ultimately, that eternal condemnation that Jesus spoke about so much. Remember, he didn't come to condemn Men are already condemned as lawbreakers, but he came to make a way of salvation. And then we saw in great detail, and again, we'll recap this uh, here in a bit a little more clearly, but we saw that God has manifest the truth of himself in men as well as before them through creation, and yet in man's rebellion, he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. And then we see here in Romans 1, a series of really steps of men hardening their own hearts that begins to move into God hardening their heart or giving them over to sin. It starts with them not glorifying God, not being thankful to God, and then it's a series of steps of hardening or God giving people over to a reprobate or a mind of depravity. This morning we're going to go deeper into this. We'll, see continue, we'll continue to see God giving folks over. Again, in this process of them shunning the Lord, we're going to look in these steps specifically at the sin of, and yes, the sin of homosexuality. It's talked about in detail in this passage here. That it's one of the products of cultures and individuals hardening their hearts to God Almighty. And we're a people here that stand on God's word. God's word is authoritative. God's word is the final matter on these things. Praise God. We're going to see that we serve a God that forgives. A God that restores. A God that offers salvation to all that would call upon his name. No matter what sins easily ensnare them. Or they're defined by that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to liberate. And to set souls free. So again, we'll see that. From there, this depravity goes deeper and that God's going to judge those that practice. And at the end of this chapter, he gives a list of about 23, 24 sins here. It's really unrighteousness that God's going to judge or that wrath is going to come forth on those who practice these things. And there's a big difference between practicing them 
and wrestling with them, but also those who approve of these things. And I think for us this morning, that might be the bigger emphasis because there is such a push this day in Christianum for us to approve of these sins and this unrighteousness before the Lord, especially in the area of the sin of homosexuality. And listen, we're a people that need to be led by God's word, not the lies of this age, the God of this world, the philosophies of men and so forth. And so this morning, the Lord may be rebuking some folks here today. Let's make sure we leave here wanting to walk in the truth of God's word that liberates versus, again, the philosophies of men and doctrines of demons that damn souls to hell. God's word is our final authority. Can we say amen to that? Let's read the text together and then we'll dive into it. He says in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God of their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of evil, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, notice here, but also approve of those who practice them. So again, verse 26, for this reason. For what reason? Again, Romans 1, 18 through 23. I won't read it again. It's there before you. But again, quickly, God makes it very clear. He's manifest the knowledge of himself in every individual. Absolutely through creation. He has shown the power of his hand through the things that are created. We saw last week as well. He's put eternity on every man's heart. He's written the law of God on every man's heart. He convicts every individual of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When everyone comes into this world, the light of Christ is before them. We looked at all those verses last week. And so, though they know that God is God, again, they still suppress the truth, the truth that He is God, and the truth of Jesus Christ in unrighteousness. And last week we looked at several of those lies that are thrown out there that men stand on to try to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The idea that we're all good, the idea that all roads lead to God, that evolution, you know what, is the reason we're here, it's time plus slime and all this kind of stuff, wanting to suppress the truth. And really what it is, is them trying to ease their conscience against the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that they can live with a false peace and in their indulgences of sin and rebellion against God. Again, though the, the, the truth of God is manifest before them, we saw that they don't glorify God. 
They don't render esteem to God. They don't honor God. They don't magnify God. And then we read they're not even thankful to God. God who brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God who brings the sun up on the just and the unjust. God who has provided for each and every one of us. God who he brings his mercies and they're new every morning. They don't even want to say thank you. And when you find a culture that does not want to give glory to God, that does not want to give thanks to God, listen, it's a downward slope that gets ugly really, really quickly. That's not only true about cultures, but it's true about individuals. And we talked last week how important it is that we're a people that give glory to our God, that we're a people that count our blessings. We're a people that give thanks to God at every single turn. It's God's will for us in Christ Jesus to be a thankful people. Can we say amen to that this morning? Though these individuals, they don't glorify God. They're not thankful to God. And then they willingly become futile in their thoughts, wicked in their thoughts, idolatrous in their thoughts, foolish in their thoughts. And it says their darkened hearts or their their hearts are, are darkened in their foolishness. And this is, again, their doing. We don't want to glorify God. We don't want to thank God. We don't want to filter our thoughts through the word of God. So their thoughts become wicked and their hearts become darkened as they push God Almighty away who created them, who's given them breath, who even in their rebellion sent his son to die for their sins on the cross of Calvary. And then we read professing to be wise, they become fools worshiping the creation over the creator and then in verse 24 it says therefore god gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves so they don't want to glorify god they don't want to thank god they become again wicked in their thoughts their hearts are darkened and then god gives them over which means to be delivered to surrender to to be imprisoned by. So again, we saw God will knock on the door of the heart. We looked at Pharaoh. How again, God sent Moses, a type of Christ to him and said, let my people go. It says that Pharaoh hardened his heart the first few times. And then after that, it says God hardened his heart several times. And what that is, is God not going in and hardening the heart and again, him being responsible for this man's sin but no it's god giving one over to their stubbornness and the resistance of god almighty god says i'm going to give you over this you want this then i'm going to let it run its course and really it is an imprisonment that takes place it says he gives them up to uncleanness which we saw last week is immorality it is foulness. It really is the demonic when we talk about unclean spirits. He gives them up to the lust of their hearts. We'll talk more about this this morning. They get consumed by these things that, again, are sinful before God Almighty. They burn for those things, and he gives them up to even dishonoring or shaming their bodies amongst themselves. And then in verse 25, it says to exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And you would think that that very easily could be the end of the chapter. Boy, it can't get worse than this, right? 
But again, notice verse 26, for this reason. There's more in this. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is right, for, for what is against nature. So again, there's several times here in this course where it says God gave them up. It's a process. It's a process of being delivered, surrendered to, or imprisoned by sin. Now, Jesus has come to set us free from sin. And when you come to Christ, it's the exact opposite course. Again, when we call on him, positionally, we're made right. Positionally, we're forgiven. Our names are registered in heaven. We get adopted into the family of God. Is that not good news? And then the Lord starts a process of sanctification, of peeling back layers, of restoring, of renewing our mind. But listen, if you shun the Lord, if you don't want to bend knee and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and your need for him, it is an opposite process of being given over to those sins that you put as your Lord over Jesus Christ, who's the giver of life. The word vile here, it means shameful. So he gives them over to shameful passions, disgraceful, disgraceful passions. It means to dishonor. It means to be despised. And listen, it's not that it's shameful to the individuals that practice these things and that applaud them. And then when a culture goes down this road, it's not even shameful to the culture. But you know who it's shameful to? The Lord Jesus Christ. And really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters with anything. What does the Lord say about the matter? Notice Philippians 3.18, it says, For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Notice here, whose God is their belly, and then whose glory, who and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And these things here that God gives individuals and then cultures over to when they don't want to thank him, when they don't want to glorify him, when absolutely they give themselves over to their own sinful passions, then they move so far to even glory in those things, to call good evil, to call evil good. Does anyone see any of that going along in our culture today? There's a lot of it, is there not? Where they celebrate these things. They glorify this rebellion against God. And if you dare say anything against it, you're a hater, you're a bigot, you're all of these things that they come up with to again do what? To try to suppress the truth and unrighteousness when absolutely in the Lord. Listen, God shines light on these things. And we're called to shine light on them, not to exalt ourselves. We're all sinners out here in this place. But to show people God's standard is his law. We're going to be judged by it. That puts us all in dire straits. But Jesus Christ is the one who can forgive, wash, sanctify, and set us free from sin. That is the good, good news. And so for this reason, they're given over to these vile passions and that's the key word in this the word passions it means affections or to be affectionate towards this is talking about being affectionate towards your sin loving your sin wanting to walk in your sin wanting to prop up your sin 
wanting to make provision for your sin. It's really a picture of making sin and rebellion your Lord over the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's a big difference between those that do not know the Lord when it comes to sin and their affections towards it versus those who knew, know the Lord and their practical sin in their life. Listen, to the believer, sin is not something that we're affectionate towards. Sin absolutely is something that we hate. And that's the mark of a born-again believer. They hate their sin. And I'll tell you, if a real born-again believer doesn't hate their sin, the Lord's going to take you to the woodshed and bring you round to where you should be. He's faithful to us in that. It's one of the pictures of grace that he has given to us. Paul speaks of this later in this epistle. In Romans, Romans 7, verse 15 He's speaking about the sins he wrestled with. And he says, I hate these sins that I do. I hate them. Paul doesn't have an affection towards them. In Romans 12, 9, we're told, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. But this world that again shuns the Lord, that does not want to give glory to God, that does not want to thank God, that again, does not want God in their thoughts. They don't want to have God's word as their standard as they go down this road of rebellion. These sinful activities become their passion, the things that they live for and so forth. And let me tell you, these sins and these shameful things, they absolutely need to get covered and they need to get washed And the only person that can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that. Listen, sin is shameful. But glory to God, not only on the cross did he bear our sin. We've talked about this already even in this epistle. But praise God, he also bore our shame. Is that not good news? Hebrews 12, it says there in verse 2, For who for the joy that was set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross despising the shame it was a shameful thing for god almighty to come and take on the form of a man and then to be condemned for sin he did not he did not commit to be you know it paraded through the streets after being flogged and then nailed to the cross and risen up there and they're hurling insults on him and so forth and he's taking on the wrath of the world upon himself he who knew no sin became sin for us and listen that was a shameful place to be. It says that he was marred beyond recognition as a man. And yet, listen, he was willing to take that shame for us. And this is why Romans 9.33 says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Is that not good news? He bore our sin and he bore our shame. But this rebellious world, they glory in their shame. They celebrated. This really just shows how dark an individual's heart can get and how dark a culture can get. And notice here what he says next. He says, even the women exchanged, and that word keeps coming up as well, they exchanged the natural use, and this would be marriage and relations with a man for what is against nature. Interesting how he says this here. 
He says, for even the women exchange their natural use for what's against nature. Even the women do it. And again, he's speaking about marriage here. He's speaking about relations here between a man and a woman. That's what is natural. That is what works. Listen, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of uh, scientific uh, uh, description of a man and a woman entering into holy matrimony and consummating their marriage. But just practicality shows you that's what works. That was what designed the parts fit, fit together. That's the design. Not only, listen, not only is that true physically, but that's also true mentally. It's true spiritually. Men and women are wired differently. And God saw Adam there and he says he needs a helper comparable to him. And God didn't bring another fellow forward. He brought a woman out of his side. That's what is natural. Men and women are not the same. Men are not greater than women. Women are not greater than men. But they are not the same. They're, they're, they're different. And God designed it that way. And the natural course of things, they absolutely fit. And in God's kingdom and God's design, they absolutely forget. But when you go down this avenue of not glorifying God and not thanking God and wanting to walk again in your own vile passions and so forth, God will begin to give you over to these things. And it can go to the point where even the women exchange the natural use relations and marriage with a man for what is against nature again jesus christ gives us the clear order of these things he shows us what is natural he shows us and teaches us what is fitting in the kingdom of god what is fitting in regards to sexual relations and marriage and so forth the lord jesus christ is the authority on these things and he's the final word on these things And let me tell you this morning, if you resist these things and you want to shun these things, you're shunning and resisting the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4, he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? Hear this. This is real clear. He made them male and female. This is the Lord's commentary on these gender issues of today. Oh, it's a difficult subject. Oh, you know, we're tackling something that's confusing here. No, 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 no. He made them male and he made them female. Very, very clear. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The word man there, it's the masculine in the Hebrew back in Genesis and in the Greek here in Matthew. The wife here, it is the feminine back in Genesis, and it's the feminine here in, in, in Matthew in the Greek. He says, the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And that's a commentary as well upon heterosexual sin of divorcing when there is no biblical grounds for it. If God's brought you together Who are you to render that or to tear that apart? This is the authority on these matters. Oh, Jesus never talked about this or that. He talked about all of it. One man, one woman, and holy matrimony, God made them male and female. And listen, when women abandon that for other women, and we'll see when men abandon that for other men, 
They go against nature and they go against what is fitting in God's order and the end product that comes out of these things, as we already read and we'll see, it is spiritual death. It is destruction. It's interesting here, he says, even the women. And I I just thought about that. And really, you look at the course of history, you look at culture today. Really, when the women get to the place where they're accepting the perversity, I think that's usually the last hurdle before judgment comes upon a people. Because generally, women are not as drawn or bent towards sexual sin as men are. Listen, they got sin, men got sin, but generally men are initially more bent towards sexual sin than women are. And I think that's implied right here. Even the women do this. And it's almost saying, yeah, you could see men doing it before because they're more bent outside of Christ to sexual sin and being visually stimulated and so forth. But this has gotten so bad, he says, even the women are doing it. And when the women fall into this place, along with the men, when, listen, they become unashamedly perverse, then it will begin to, again, get into every quarter of a culture. You read about this in Genesis 19, when these angels came there to Lot to warn them of the judgment upon Sodom. It's interesting, I got verse 5 for you here. It says, they, I should have had verse 4, because it says that the young men and the old And all the people from every quarter came out saying, we want to know these angels or these men carnally. And it just shows how this had spread into all of the culture, to every quarter of it. Them saying, this is okay. Really, they're glorying. They're not ashamed of this. And even the women are on board with it. And that's when judgment soon comes after I think this also happens with the women more readily. Hear this, and we're going to get into verse 27 in a second. But this happens when the men are not being men. And that's where this culture is today. Men, most men do not behave like men. And I'm not saying I'm rough and rugged, I'm a lumberjack and so forth. Let's see. Yeah, I get that. But we're just talking about men. Esau was a hunter. Jacob was a baker. They're both men. We're not talking about that. Interesting. The word homosexual in the New Testament, it means an effeminate. The word sodomy means an abuser of mankind because that is an abuse against not only a physical body, but mankind that absolutely will bring destruction to a culture. This idea of what they do behind closed doors doesn't affect me. You're ignorant if you think that that affects a culture. It absolutely does. Men not being men. Really men taking on the effeminate or taking on the role of women. And it's all over the place. There is a great effort to raise our children, our young boys and our young men to be effeminate and not to embrace the fact that god has called them to be men god's called them to lead as they're being led by the lord jesus christ there are certain attributes that god wants to bestow upon every man and this culture is doing its best to strip men of those attributes 
Again, you look around, in my opinion, you look around most men today, even a majority, in my opinion, of men who claim to believe, they really don't vigorously follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a man being a man. You vigorously follow the Lord Jesus Christ to lead your wife and to lead your children and to lead all who would put eyes upon you towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Most men today, most people today, they're lovers of themselves. God tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That means we are called to die to ourselves and put others first. That's a man being a man. Most men today have a form of godliness or even in the church, but there's no power. No power there. You see very few true soldiers for Christ walking about. And listen, what this does in the church and then even in culture when a culture tries to strip men of their, you know what, manly duties and call just even in general, you know what it does? It leaves the women with no covering and it makes them easily susceptible to the serpent's lies. And it leaves a vacuum filled by women and children, which is to the shame of men. I'm going to read a verse right now. It might be offensive to you. But it's God's word, not Pastor Steve's opinion. Isaiah 3.11, it says, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your past. Listen, I don't even take that as a slamming on the women. That is a commentary on the men. And where it says even the women do this, it's because the men are not being led by the Lord. Notice verse 27. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust for one another. Hear this. This is God's word here. Men with men committing what is shameful. In themselves and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. But notice how it says, also the, likewise also the men. So again, the men like the women. Though the women are doing what the women are doing because of the men, but now the, women, the men are following the women versus the men following the Lord. It should be likewise also the men being like the Lord, not following the lead of the women. Listen, when the men don't want to be like the Lord, but instead want to embrace the effeminate, a culture has no hope. We need to turn to the Lord in prayer. We absolutely do. And leave the natural use of the women. Hear this this morning. This is talking about all men. There are many lies that have come into Christianum today. They call it gay theology. And they read this and they say, oh, no, no, no. This is easy to explain. This is talking about heterosexual men. When heterosexual men leave women, that's what's unnatural. This is natural for a homosexual man. Again, they ignore the words of Christ. For this reason, God made them male and made them female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. 
listen, there's absolutely zero support of homosexuality and that sin in the Bible. And there is actually absolutely zero evidence that anyone is born that way. But Adolf Hitler had it right. If you tell a lie enough, eventually people will start to believe it. And it's going on in our culture all over the place. It's going on in our culture right now in this North County. If any of you have antennas up at all, you know what's going on on some of our campuses and so forth. And it's this idea of this, again, and, and kids struggling with this self. Yes, they need to be ministered. They need to be protected. Absolutely, 100%. They need to know that the Lord loves them and wants to wash them and has a better plan for them. But to hold this up and then even say, well, that's just who they are. They were born that way. There is no biblical support for that. And there is not a shred of real science or evidence for that absolutely in nature around us. It just does not exist. So they leave the natural use of women. And listen, they leave this with God's law on their hearts. This is why, listen, this is why with this sin, you know, when they say, just give us marriage and we'll be happy. And against the will of the people, that was granted by a, a homosexual judge in San Francisco. I heard a pastor recently say, oh, the, the, the people of California fell in that. No, the people in California voted for marriage between one man and one woman. It was a rebellious judge that said, we're going to write this into law. And the same with our country. But see, the law of God's written on people's heart. And then again, nature itself shows what fits together and what is upright And yet, even with that, before individuals, even knowing that, they harden their heart. And this is why, again, it's not enough for us, for them just to have marriage. But now they got to force you to acknowledge it, even though you go, look it, I'm not for this. That's not enough. We're going to persecute you unless you affirm us. Why is that the case? If you have what you want. Why aren't you just happy with that? Why do you have to be affirmed? Because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We got to have an affirmation. We can't have any conviction on us whatsoever. You either have to agree or we're going to go after you. And let me tell you, it's become a mafia type movement where they're going to try to take you down if you say this is wrong. I'm telling you right now. There are a lot of people that come in here today, and this is online. This is not being hidden. We're out here in the open. They say, this man is full of hate speech. No, this is love right here to save souls, to save cultures. So it says, they, they leave the natural use of the woman and burn in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. The word burn here, it means to inflame deeply. To be consumed with, to set on fire. And we have a culture now that's consumed with this sin. It's just absolutely consumed with it. Forcing the agenda, trying to force it on everybody. To force their symbols on everybody. To force their symbols in every classroom when they do not belong in any of those places. Look at 
grown adults, if that's what you want to do, you'll give an account before God, then you go do you, but don't take your thing and try to shove it upon our children. And for men to stand by and just to allow it to happen, it is rank rebellion against God. And every one of these teachers, administrators, politicians, and so forth, they're heaping up wrath on their head on the day of judgment. Make no mistake about it. And if you're well, kind, you know, I'm kind of down. I'm not really, I kind of approve of it. You better get that checked before God Almighty. You better get it checked. Because read down through the end of the chapter, approving by God's standards is the same as practicing. It's gut check time. We're going to stand for the Lord? Or are we going to go with the influence of the world? So they burn with their lust or longing after that which they covet. Real quickly here. And I'm not going to go into deep de- detail, but I give you some steps here on how to deal with temptation and lust. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, temptation's not sin. Jesus was tempta- tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. But when temptation comes and then one's drawn into it with his own desires and he's enticed and he brings it into his person, then it conceives and gives birth to sin. Whether it's practice or just lust starting to consume somebody. When it's allowed to grow, when it's not taken before the Lord, when there's no effort to combat it, eventually it will grow. When it's full grown, it will bring forth death. Death of good things. Often, an early death on earth, and most tragically, eternal death. 1 John two seventeen. the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who abides in the will of God abides forever. And sadly, most individuals today walk according to their lust, their belly. They serve the God of their belly. Jude one eighteen says, it says, They told you that there would be mockers in the last times. There's people mocking God all over the place, is there not? Mocking the idea of the second coming of the Lord. It says, who would walk according to their own godly lust. They don't walk according to the word of God, but over what feels good, what the deem is right and so forth. And listen, we were once there too before we came to Christ. Ephesians 2, 3. We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. And then Titus 3, 3, it says that we once served various lusts. But in Christ Jesus, we're called to leave those things behind. I got five verses for you that speaks of this. Called to lay these things behind. Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Grace was not given to us to go be consumed with fleshly lust. It was given to us to wash us of a sin and then to empower us to walk in our freedom to the glory of God. But if you want to embrace those things, it's not going to bring forth life. It's going to bring forth death and destruction. So we're called to leave these things. How do we do it? Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit. You won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That means you're governed by God's word. It means you're yielded to the things of the Lord. 
2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness. Listen, these are some practical things we have to choose to do or not. Are we going to flee lust and pursue righteousness? Are we going to flee righteousness and pursue youthful lust? What are you doing? What are you sowing in your heart? What are you putting before you? What are you indoctrinating yourself with? Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And then Ephesians 4, 22. Put off your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to, notice, deceitful lust. A lot of this is practical. What are you sowing into your heart? Whatever you sow is going to bring forth the garden coming out of your life. And so it says here, men with men committing what is shameful. There's nothing to be proud of in the sin of homosexuality, for that matter, in any sin. There's nothing to be proud of in the sin of fornication, adultery, thiefing, lying. It's all shameful before God. But again, we've arrived at this place where sin is celebrated. And people say we're proud of it. But it's shameful. It goes against the foundational ordinances of God, a man and a woman and holy matrimony. And hear this. These things are an abomination before God. Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's abomination. That means morally disgusting. And there was a time in our culture where these things were considered morally disgusting. I I don't want to say that, saying that God doesn't love the sinner. He absolutely does, or we're all in trouble out here, right? But he hates the sin. And this sin is morally disgusting before God Almighty. It is shameful. But when a culture begins to celebrate these things... Judgment is right around the corner. He says, having received in themselves the penalty of their error, notice which is due. The word penalty, it means the suffering and person right property that is annexed by law or judicial decision to the commission of a crime or public offense. There's a penalty that comes when these things are embraced. Listen, part of that penalty is the ushering in of the demonic. 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says, In latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceitful or deceiving or seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons. Again, where you find the word unclean in the Bible, it's not just about the outward, but absolutely it's about the inward. It ushers in unclean spirits. This is why men take on these personas of flamboyancy. And you're like, what is this an act? No, it's another spirit. You're seeing a manifestation of the demonic. When men take on that flamboyant care, I'm just letting it all out today. We're, we're being truthful about it. when they take that on. That's unnatural. That is something that they're not born with, though we're born sinners. But that is something that comes forth through the embracing of these things. It is demonic, and it's the penalty of error. I'll tell you also what comes with this is bad health and oftentimes an early death. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And then Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now listen, on the back pages of your notes, there is a study. There is a chart there. Where is that at? This was done back in the 90s. This is on family, uh, the familyresearchinstitute.org. It hasn't been disputed. It hasn't been challenged because it is based on real data. And basically it breaks it down. The average heterosexual married man, the average age of death is 75. The average age of a heterosexual married woman is 79. The average death of a homosexual male who dies with age is 39. And the average age of the homosexual without age, his average death is 42 years old and lesbians is 44 years old. It's an early death on life because it is a brutal lifestyle. It's the penalty of the error which is due. This has been this this study's been out for years and it's never been challenged because it's factual. This is real science here. I don't dare go into the description of what causes these early deaths. But it's factual because these behaviors are destructive to the mind the spirit and the body and isn't it ironic that our national health director embraces these things on such a huge level and there's nothing healthy about this man's mind his soul or his his spirit his physical body and now if you saw this week they're like first women first woman to receive a four-star general or something it's like that's a man that's straight up a man I don't play the pronoun game. That's a man. And if you're playing it, you need to repent from it because you're moving into approving of it and doing it. The penalty of the error, it's the destruction of nations and cultures. Again, in Jude 6 and 7, we know Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of their sexual immorality. And then ultimately, the destruction is the loss of a soul. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hear this. Do not be deceived. And then he goes down a list of some of these sins. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. That's the effeminate. Or sodomites, abusers of mankind and the actions. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's bad, bad news. But notice what it says next. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the good news. Our God washes and cleanses and gives life. And notice, He even changes our titles. That's what you are, or what you were. What you are now is who you are in Christ Jesus. 28 and they and as even and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting they don't want to think about God not the God of the Bible they don't want the word of God before them so once again we see once again God gives them over they've already been given over and given over they get given over again they get imprisoned again to a debased mind to do the things not fitting in God's plan and nature and the kingdom of God. A debased mind means a reprobate mind. It means an unapproved mind. 
a rejected mind. They're given over to sin, not fitting again to the culture, to nature, to the kingdom of God. And then he gives this list. Being filled with all unrighteousness. So they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not filled with the word of God. They're not filled with the things of God. They don't shun or reject wickedness. Instead, they embrace and promote it and then have been given over to it. And listen, it's a leaven that produces more leaven and sin that bursts more sin. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. And if you start bringing in sin, you don't want to check it. It's going to give birth to more. Notice it says, for he who sows in the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. Corruption. That he who sows of the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. And this is a key for us. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Satan wants to wear you down in these matters. He wants to wear us down away from fundamental truth to places of compromise and acceptance of these things. Do not grow weary in the call of God upon your life. Make no concessions. Make no room for the approval of these things. Yes, let's walk in the love of the Lord. This is not a call to hate. It's a call to walk in love, but to walk in the truth. Love for God and love for the truth is first. I'm not going to go into detail of all these sins. I'm going to read them, and I'll give you a little broadened definition in the Greek. Being filled with all unrighteousness or wrongfulness, or things that are not in right standing with God. Sexual immorality, we've established it. It's all sexual activity outside of biblical marriage. Wickedness, it's sin or iniquity. Covetousness, greediness. Maliciousness, it means badness, trouble, evil, to be naughty. Full of envy, means jealousy or ill will. To murder, to slay or slaughter, literally or in the heart. Strife, again, can be contentious, quarrelsome. There's a lot of that in the world. They're given over to deceit, which means they're crafty or trickery. They're easily baited into lies. They deceive and they want to bait others into their lies. They deceive others. Evil-mindedness, which means mischievous or bad character. Number 11, they're whispers. Number 12, they're backbiters. It means secret slander. They're talkative against Number 13, haters of God. Why? Because they're lovers of self. Violent. It means an assault, an insulter. It means they're injurious. There's a lot of insulters today, especially online, right? Keyboard warriors and whatnot. The sin of, pr- of, pr- of pride. They're proud. It means they're haughty or want to appear above others. Number 16, they're boasters or braggarts. Number 17, inventor of evil things or they're discoverers of evil things. They want to go out and they want to find more evil. Number 19, they're undiscerning. Do you know to be undiscerning is a sin against God? It means they're foolish, a lack of understanding, unintelligent. As Christians, we are called to be discerning. I mean, you're like, I don't want to discern anything. That's a sin against God. And you need to use discernment because most of the celebrity pastors today, they're wolves at the worst and hirelings at the best. And you better believe there is false doctrine being peddled left and right in Christendom today. Oh, I don't want to get into that. I feel unloving. I just want to bury my head in the sand. No, you need to wake up and start judging the things coming before you by the word of God. 
They're untrustworthy, which means they're covenant breakers. They don't keep their word. They're unloving. It means without natural affection. Unforgiving, full of roots of bitterness, and then unmerciful. They want it, but they don't want to give it. Now notice verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, they know it. We read last week in Romans 2. We'll get into it, the Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks. God's law is written on the heart of every man and every woman. The Holy Spirit convicts everyone of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The judgment of God is known by them. It's why they want affirmation. That those who practice such things are deserving of death. Listen, this speaks of the second death. This speaks of hell. The word practice again, it's, it's, it's a key word. To practice, it means to perform repeatedly, habitually, versus a single act where you stumble. God, forgive me. I'm wrestling this thing. Every Christian is going to have seasons where they're grappling with sin. This is not what this is talking about. This is talking about the practice of these sins, to make provision for it, to allow it to dwell in the heart, in the life. They know the judgment of God, that it's righteous. They know that those that practice or walk in these things are deserving of death. But not only do they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They know it's there, but they continue doing it. And this is huge. They also approve of those who practice these things. Hear this. The word approve, it means to think well of in common, to assent to, to feel gratified with. To be pleased with or to have pleasure in approving. Listen, that's a description of so many people today. Oh, I'm so loving because I approve of this sin. Oh, look at me. I just find satisfaction in that. Love is love. Oh, look at me. I'm such a loving Christian. You're taking the grace of God and turning it to lewdness. And you're denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Go read the book of Jude. This is not a small matter. My heart breaks when I see so many professing Christians promoting these sins all over their social media and in their life, thinking they're so learned, thinking they're so inclusive, thinking they're loving others when they're only loving themselves, being gratified by their warped mind, convincing them that they are absolutely, you know, beaming forth with this love and adoration for everybody isn't loving someone if their home's on fire and they're in it they're going to die and you just walk by i'm so loving i don't want to disrupt oh they're playing monopoly in there oh they're yeah the, they're up there look at them up in the window playing on, and the bottom floor is on on fire oh i don't want to interrupt that i'm such a loving individual oh love is love This is huge in the church today. This push, this distortion of Scripture. Jen Hatmaker, I think it was last year, the year before, the year before that, she was considered the number one author in Christianum. Oh, come soon, Lord Jesus. She's part of a group now called the Reformation Project. Quote, advancing the LGBTQ, LGBTQ inclusion in the church. The number one author per sale of books 
is about advancing this into the church. And most pastors wouldn't touch this passage with a 10-foot pole. I say, God bless every one of them that will and every one of them that does. Praise God for that remnant out there. But I'll tell you, you want to turn a blind eye to it? You want to approve it? Yeah, that, we're getting serious. Make no mistake, this is not gibberish. This is the word of God. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Lovely Father, we praise you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for who you are. I thank you that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Lord, we know there's bad news. We're all sinners and wrath abides on us. But Lord, we thank you for the good news. Jesus, you lived a sinless life. You went to the cross to atone for our sins, all of them. You rose from the grave and defeated the wages of our sin, death. And whoever calls on your name will be saved, forgiven, washed. They can take up that mantle there in 1 Corinthians and say, That's what I was. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm positionally right with the Lord and practically God's doing a work of renewal in me. Listen, if you don't know Him, you need to call on Him today. You need to respond to that knocking on your heart by the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, I encourage you right now to ask Him to wash you, to forgive you, to be the Lord of your life. Lord, any in that place, meet them where they're at right now. Begin a good work. Lord, let us lift our voices to You. Let us give You praise. I give you great glory. Let's, let's, let's lift our voices to our God. Let's glorify Him and give Him thanks as we close here. Deliver me as I call upon your name. Be the God who breaks my chains, all the shackles of my shame. Deliver Direct my heart, come and lead me from the top. Father, show how strong you are. Deliver me, oh Lord, deliver me. Oh, and I will trust in only you, for you will bring the victory.
Amen? Listen, we've got like half an hour before the next service. I encourage you to stick around. Encourage one another. We need that godly Christian fellowship. And uh, just pray God blesses you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord Jesus. Uh, myself and uh, I know my wife will be up here. Uh, Ron and Lisa are available. We'd, we'd love to pray with anyone this morning that needs prayer. And encourage you to be praying for one another as well. Let's uh, absolutely be willing to lay hands on each other and lift one another up to the Lord. Amen? God bless you.